Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. The Tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! Hello, and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a pair of guys who worked on an incredible record together recently, which just came out last week, Will Westerman and James Krivchenia. Now, Krivchenia is best known as the drummer of Big Thief, the Brooklyn indie band that has blown up pretty big over the last few years, up to and including last year's fantastic album, Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. When he's not busy with Big Thief, though, Krivchenia also plays in Megabog, among other bands, and he even played some drums on Taylor Swift's re-recorded version of her Red album. He's also made some really interesting music as a solo artist, too, including last year's Blood Karaoke, which samples dozens of YouTube videos that had zero views and synthesizes them into an intense collage that will either get your toes tapping or your brain frying. Check out a bit of Null States from that album right here. Will Westerman, who releases music under his last name, happened to meet Krivchenia in the UK a few years back, and for the second Westerman album, the two worked together. An inbuilt fault is a more textured beast than the first Westerman record, gaining space and a bit of groove courtesy both of Krivchenia and of some other ace players like Luke Temple. Recording the album was a weird experience that involved a lonely apartment and a couple of guys with COVID, and lyrically it deals with a pretty dark time. Check out a bit of the song Take here, which they talk about in this chat. A trip switch the chewed wires connecting everyone has a ceiling. Every feeling is a wire, and every feeling is a wire. Now, in addition to their own experience recording that record, Krivchenia and Westerman talk about an incredible guitar that James's uncle built, figuring out how you're going to play a studio-built composition on the road with new people, and a bunch of upcoming projects, including another Westerman record, which he's going to record on a Greek island, and a mythology-heavy, quote, metal-as-fuck children's album that James is working on. Enjoy. Oh, fuck. Okay, so we're just having a chat. That's great. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're in London rehearsing for the tour, which is about to start. It's been this sort of abstract thing for a really long time, and then we're about to leave now. But it's great. Maddie's here. You met Maddie, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I met Maddie at a festival or something. Yeah. So Maddie's coming. Maddie's doing a, a great job at trying to kind of get... Like, Give is quite hard to play, I think, for Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> the way that that one's ended up is like, she's like, yeah, like, uh, yes, uh, how is, like, how was this, like, how did you do this? It's always kind of tricky doing the record thing when you've, yeah. it, I mean, it's the same in Big Thief too, where usually it's arranged in the studio without much thought of like, oh, we're going to nail this live. It's more just like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And then you like play it and you're like, oh, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many things that, in a way, 
I never even like tried to imagine when we got to get the people together to rehearse. I never even tried to think about like, how are we going to make this sound like the record? It was more like, right. This is the band. These are the people that I want to play with. These are all great people. Like, how can we collectively try and capture the spirit of the record? And, you know, like, I think it used to stress me out a lot when I was younger, the idea of trying to recreate kind of in a picture perfect way, even to, even like the, the kind of the, the idiosyncrasies of like the textures. But it's quite freeing just to sort of say to everyone, like, let's just kind of Use this obviously as like a jumping off point, but not feel too bound by it because we'll need to make it like a new thing. And then I think it, it then it becomes actually kind of exciting and creative again. How do you guys approach it? There's always like a slight grief period when you're like, realize that the thing that maybe made something special on the record isn't the thing that's going to make it special live. And so it's almost like doing another version where you have to kind of let go of a couple of the little quirks or like certain some oftentimes it's more like energetic where it's like there's a certain energy where it's like oh it's so chill or there's like this certain kind of pocket and like some of that stuff doesn't translate live I feel the most when you're because you're playing in a room to microphones and you're playing to that space and then like actually like projecting outward is totally different than that you know (laughs) yeah you're just not going to be able to get the level of separation that you would like you know, yeah. even 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 with the best sound people in the world, because you just don't you don't know the idiosyncrasies of the shape of the room you're going to be playing. You don't know how many people are going to be in there. Like there's just so many different elements which are outside of your control, which makes it kind of just a completely different thing to arrange it. I kind of enjoy it actually. I noticed that with Big Thief actually, like the last couple of times I've heard you guys play Dragon New Wall Mountain, I believe in you. You kind of do like it's like a metal version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's very, very yeah, switch it up. <laughs> <laughs> Super different. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there ones that like, you said Give was like the one that's kind of been the most challenging. Is there ones that have been like great as a four piece? And Yeah. I think Take is really fun. I think the ones with sort of more, not linear, but maybe more like regular drum parts mm-hmm. immediately come together more quickly. It's also, it depends on the people who are playing Maddie's just, uh, Maddie just really nailed the drum part for that really quickly. And mm-hmm. then from that point on, it's just, it, it kind of came together pretty quickly. I mean, I think Give also does sound pretty good. I think it's like the ones which are harder are the ones which are, which are kind of more asymmetrical, um, particularly mm-hmm. percussively. And also there's a lot going on in kind of a subtle way texturally, where they're like, where yeah. the separation of sound is just quite kind of formative to the recording. We're not going to get the amount of separation that you and I were able to get. And so it's kind mm-hmm. of, well, not quite taking them apart again, but yeah, sort of just stripping everything back. And fight. like, so the, the drum part on my guitarist is pretty different now. Because it's just, there's like three percussionists on, or like, I think there's four percussionists all playing different <laughs> stuff on that. And Mad is, Mad is going, I don't know how I'm going to, how am I yeah. supposed to, <laughs> how do I play it? It's interesting because those two are the ones that we sort of like kept the vibe of the drums of the demo the most too. Obviously the sound was completely different, but yeah, those are the ones that have the your demo drum programming feel. You came to the session with demos that were really fleshed out and like sort of very boldly like in their own direction already. They weren't just like voice memos and stuff like that. Like they were like full arrangements and they had crazy drum programming and like effects. When you're making those, are you just laying down like the basic song you already wrote or is that drum programming and the asymmetry kind of a part of how the song gets formed in the first place or something i mean we tried different stuff and we 
sort of realized that that feel was sort of like essential, you know, as like part of the song. It's quite an important part. I think often the way I play when I'm writing, I kind of mimic what I hear percussively with the way that I play the guitar. So I think when I kind mm. of got into like arranging stuff more myself, which I hadn't done before, I kind of, the way I would have chugged it on the guitar, like, doo -doo, mm -hmm. dun, dun, doo -doo, doo -doo, I just thought I, I can do that. I can make that just a rhythmic element and then strip, strip the kind of the strumming out of the guitar and it will still have the same lyric mm. to it. Um, and it will just free up a lot more space melodically without having this kind of block of sound, which I'm doing it for movement, not really for any melodic purpose. So mm -hmm. for those two particularly, I did spend a bit of time kind of working on that. And uh, it got quite fixated with this idea of basically having loops, which don't sound like loops. So it mm -hmm. becomes kind of, so, uh, you know, so it is a loop, but it's a really irregular length loop. I think give is like 47 bars or something. It's like crazy. So like when you're changing the chord, you know, the chords are like actually just not, they're pretty standard chords, but it's when you're like, when the changes happen, it gives this feeling mm -hmm. of kind of, of like a sort of almost instability where you don't really know where you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Coming back to like how we're doing it live. I actually, with those two, I sent Maddie the demos because they're just, just having the basic drum programming without all the, all the kind of the embellishments and like all of the textual stuff that, that you added in and, and GB did and stuff actually kind of think made it easier for, for them to kind of hear what the actual fa foundation of it was. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's fun, man. It feels like a, a long time ago. <laughs> I know. It's like a year. What is it, May? Oh, it was like a year, over a year ago, a year and a half ago that we recorded Basics. A year and a half. What was your first impression of like, because we didn't know each other at all before. I mean, we had talked a little bit on the phone and, and the internet, but um, what was your like uh, impression arriving in LA and sort of just like, we, you literally just like arrived and we kind of just like trusted and basically dove in like immediately and just worked like crazy. How did the like expectation versus like what, how it actually like started to feel when you were there? What was, what was that vibe? It was great. I mean, I think I, I tried uh, pretty hard not to have a, a clear idea in my head of how it was going to go. I, I think when, when, I, when I turned up initially, I thought as a kind of as a basic level. Yeah, because as I say, it was a bit, it was a leap of faith. I mean, we, we'd met, uh, I don't know, just before the pandemic started. And I don't know if you remember, but I really, I remember quite clearly having a long chat at the windmill. And uh, us, getting yeah, yeah. Pretty, mm -hmm. us getting on pretty well. So I, th I figured mm -hmm. like, oh no, I think this will be cool. But I, I also mm -hmm. thought at a basic level, if I can come back with some really, really good sounding, like really high quality percussive stuff for all of the tracks, then even like at a bass level, that's going to be mm -hmm. super helpful. And I didn't really want to be too prescriptive because I, as I said, I spent a lot of time kind of arranging stuff. And I figured, well... You know, we spent a day, I remember, like, with Luke and Matt sort of trying to work out how to play the songs, and Luke in particular was kind of like, I don't really know how to, like, kind of, I don't know how, I don't, what, what are the chords? <laughs> yeah. so, so on that point, I was like, okay, well, maybe it's not even a good use of time or actually particularly creatively <laughs> interesting to ask these gifted creators to just replay stuff that I've already made. And it's, yeah. it's, it's maybe more, it's more interesting to kind of just say, like, you know, what do you hear? Just like play, just try some stuff. And then, and then you end up with things that you wouldn't have thought yourself. And that's the whole kind of point, right? Like of, of, of getting together yeah. with people who have, who have a different way of hearing and different way of thinking and feeling. So yeah, it, I th it was, it was great. It was intense. I remember being pretty tired at the end of each day. <laughs> yeah. I remember like, see, like 
having already sent Luke Temple and Matt Davidson to the demos and running into uh, Luke at like a show sometime before the session. And like, you know, we just saw each other. And then like later on, he just like came up to me frankly. He's like, dude, what are the chords? Like, I, I listen, <laughs> like, I'm like, believe me, I'm like working on this. I'm like preparing. Like, I don't know any of the chords though. <laughs> <laughs> I can really see his face as he was saying that. <laughs> but I have the same problem with with, um, with Ben Ben Reed, who's going to be playing bass, mm-hmm. and Joe Joe McGrail, who who's been playing with me for a long time. And I'm really lucky because my my formal music is terrible, and Joe basically charts the stuff. But there's always <laughs> when he charts, he's like, uh, uh, I think it's uh, their conversations are pretty funny. Like, yeah. Like, what do you What do you think this is? And just like I got it as this, and Ben's like, really? I got a completely different thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind, um, it's kind of nice too because like with I mean this happens with Adrienne too where it's like when when there is just complexity or ambiguity in chords like people straight up do hear it differently in terms of yeah. like how especially like if you're like responsible for low end or something and you're the root you're making is actually really change changing like. <laughs> the chord quality and it's not like there's like a right way but like yeah sometimes someone will choose a harmony for a chord and it's like you hear like that being the root like that's not it at all for me (laughs) that's kind of like the whole fun of having other people's ears you know it's like a living kind of amorphous thing and it can become something else it makes the idea of playing stuff which may be in your head is uh not so fresh mm-hmm. it kind of can bring that back in again hearing that happen it's sort of changing into something else and kind of embracing that has been like a pretty important thing in terms of looking forward to playing stuff live because often as, as you as you'll know as well like by the time you end up sort of releasing a record some of the songs you maybe feel like oh man this is this is old mm. this is old hat i'm excited for these shows it'd be it's going to be quite emotional if we haven't been we haven't been over to your side of the of the world for four years now, so, to play shows. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. 
Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Uh, where are you now? I'm in Chicago. I'm at my aunt and uncle's house, and I'm about to do a little session with this bass player, Joshua Abrams. He's going to throw some, some low end on this solo record. That's exciting. And my uncle actually just gave me a guitar today that he built. Whoa. He like makes guitars for fun, but they're like really weird. <laughs> like they're made out of like aluminum and like plywood. And, <laughs> and uh, this, it's really cool. It has like, it has a, a pickup for each string and then an output for each string. So there's six quarter inch outputs. That's crazy. <laughs> you can plug like each string into like a different amp, you know, and have like different pedals for every string. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and the pickup on the neck, you can, you could, there's like a little paper clip where you can move the pickup up and down the neck. I'll send you a picture of it. It looks like a work of art in a wow. crazy industrial way. <laughs> That's awesome. Have you played it? Have you plugged it in? I haven't plugged it in yet. He's got a whole multiple amp mixer setup because you need kind of like a mixer for it too uh, to like yeah, get sure. it going. But um, it's sick. But yeah, I'm doing a little session in Chicago and then I'm back to LA for a bit. Nice. How was the end of the tour? The end of the tour was was great. It was kind of a mad dash because we we recorded two new songs in on, at a studio outside of Barcelona on our days off. So it was kind of like a bunch of shows and then the two days off that we were supposed to have off to sort of like recuperate and finish the tour. We did like a nonstop 72 hour session <laughs> uh, at this beautiful, beautiful studio in like like an hour and a half outside of Barcelona. But it was like really satisfying. It actually made me want to like do a little recording session on every tour because it really kind of like breaks the headspace a little bit or something. We were just like literally like doing a clap track, like trying to finish a song and then just like jumped in the car with uh, our hosts and drove to the Barcelona show and just like got out of the car and like walked straight on stage and played a show. <laughs> it's like not thinking about it, you know. Wow. So it's a bit crazy, but it, but it was good. <laughs> what are you doing in July? In July, I am making a record with Tucker Zimmerman. Oh, wow. For the first two weeks of July. Yeah. Yeah, all of Big Thief is, um, and Matt Davidson and Zach Berba are all going to Annie's house and we're going to make a Tucker Zimmerman record, <laughs> which I'm super stoked for. Very sick. Did, you went to the show that Tucker played, right? I met Tucker, yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him in the, mm -hmm. in the green room. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a fascinating person <laughs> talking, with, talking with Annie very intensely about death. Um, I was like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. 100%. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, we're doing a Tucker record and then we, we start a tour uh, the second half of July. That's a shame. I'm going to be making a record on Hydra in July. I was wondering if you wanted to come. I don't think July will work, although making a record on Hydra sounds pretty... What's, what's up with Hydra? I mean, I assume that's one of the Greek islands. Yeah, it's become quite famous. If, uh, it, was the, it was the island that, that Leonard Cohen lived oh, on. Oh, nice. For some time with Marianne. I wanted to find a, a studio kind of on a Greek island, and it turns out there, there aren't that many, but there's one there. Um, so, so we're just going to go do it. It's going to be seriously hot. <laughs> there's, no, it's going to be cool though. There's no, there's no cars on Hydra. Mm -hmm. It's completely pedestrianized. And yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what it's going to be because um, I haven't laid out the, the songs in the same way that I had last time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it'll just be different again, but that's kind of 
kind of interesting. I've I've got kind of the I've I've got the itch now just to kind of uh, constantly be sort of trying to make sure I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and just sort of see what happens with that. <laughs> I feel like systematically planning recording, like, you know, planning your environment and like who's going to be there and like the vibe, yeah. obviously you have, you know, logistically have to do and feel like that's a good use of energy, but actually planning like musical stuff it is, is like usually comically just like, like even for the session we just did, we'd be playing the songs a little bit and I had some ideas of extra things that aren't possible and then just like you hear the take back and like I'm just like kind of crossing out all my ideas I was making up these ideas for like a piece of music I had never heard you know <laughs> <laughs> even though you think you know the song and what it could do and you're just like no you actually have to like sometimes an acoustic guitar like does you know it's just like it's so much more than just like the actual arrangement on paper it's like oh the sound of that is like that should be super loud. And if that's super loud, then we definitely don't need congas. I don't know. I think that often you do need congas. I would say. <laughs> I still gave it a shot. That's for sure. <laughs> well, James, tell me like, uh, what was your expectation when we started? Hmm. What were you hoping for? I was similar to you where I was trying to not have a lot of like specific music oriented expectations of like, it's got to sound like this kind of thing. Cause like, I'd heard the demos and the demos were like crazy and, and they were their own thing. And I was like, okay, whatever we're going to do is probably going to be really different than this. That's a lot of the fun for me for like tracking live with people too, is you get to that point of like reaction a lot faster where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, now there's something cool. And now we're actually like, rather than like, oh, we still got to get the vocal on and like, and you're kind of waiting and then it half the time never turns into anything good. So all I really knew is like, we should, I want to have a process where we're reacting to like the take of the song as fast as possible and adding to it from there rather than like building our masterpiece from the ground up and only to find out that it's like really boring when it's done, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that was really interesting for me because that was such a different way of working than, than I'd been used mm -hmm. to. Sort of, um, I was working with a producer friend called, uh, whose artist name is Bullion, Nathan Jenkins, mm -hmm. for, for kind of four or five years and you know, it's not, it's not qualitative. It's, it's not, in, in a way, it's not really, it's not comparative in any way other than it's just, it was almost a polar opposite in terms of the way that, that he likes to work. Um, you know, which is very much like piece by piece, mm -hmm. like just put, putting things in piece by piece. I do remember at the beginning, finding it difficult to feel really confident at the idea of just tracking everything live and doing vocal takes at the same time as playing with, with that everyone in, you know, with everyone playing at the same time. Cause I've just never done that. I mean, obviously you've done it playing live, but I've never done that in a recording environment. And that was, I do, yeah, I do remember the first day of doing that, just really trying to not think about it and to be like, I'm just going to go for it. I think you brought me in was for kind of the raw percussive thing. So I was like, okay, I think that'll get us the rawness, <laughs> you know? Because like the record I'm working on now, my own thing, it's, yeah, it's totally just editing and adding and taking away and like, and it is like a, it's just like a totally different form of sculpture, which is also kind of like, has its own really satisfying uh, rhythm to it, you know? I feel like in some ways, like doing like a band take and having that as your basic, it's like almost more fragile because then you're, you have something you like, so you're trying to kind of protect it and stuff you're adding can ruin it in some ways. Whereas the other way, you're sort of like constantly trying to just make it better and you hear much more instantly like, mm, that's not cool, that's cool. And you can, or you're just like muting stuff and you're just like, oh, maybe that's the thing. The actual like 
editing building process can have a little more flow versus like sometimes the editing of and building of building out of a track that's already kind of good but doesn't sound done it's like a little more throwing darts with that or something you know you're coming from a place where something already has like as its own kind of energy and then you're trying to you're trying to kind of augment that or embellish it or just tweak Mm -hmm. it I think we definitely got it. <laughs> and funny enough, like when you when you work in the way of the getting the take and protecting it, it often like to actually fix something, you need to start over, which we ended up doing on a few of the songs because <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then but then the ones where it's like, wow, like literally nothing is making these better and they're not quite what we want. It's like, I guess we have like the wrong <laughs> batch of ingredients or something. You we're going to start again when both of have both of us have COVID and we're not allowed in the studio <laughs> that we're working in. <laughs> One hundred percent. Yeah, that was quite crazy. Will and I, so we did it. We did a session, um, the main session for the record in LA with Matt Davidson and Luke Temple and Aaron Berge played on some of it at Tropico Beauty. And was there? An, and then, oh yeah, GB and I sent a bunch of people were involved: Michael Patrick, um, Avery, and booker stardrum uh but yeah then we finished it in london at, at this little studio that 4ad has and on the very first day will walked in and he was like i think i have covid and i had been feeling a little <laughs> ill the days before i was like shit and we took a test and we uh made us finished it in an apartment rather than the studio <laughs> <laughs> it's i mean the feeling ill was kind of was it was a shame but it was kind of an interesting kind of thing because yeah because we started i think CSI, Patralana, and Take, we were kind of building up again, basically. Mm-hmm. We were sort yes. of not quite starting completely again, keeping some of the recordings. I think we were working off the demo I made of, of CSI. Mm-hmm. And we had some, we had basically a lead vocal for Take, and then we thought that <laughs> everything else was bad. We had like one box, right? We had an H3000 and, and a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of exciting. That sense of exploration. So, well, this is the this is the situation we found ourselves in. This is these are things we had. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Deranged, like pretty deranged. Yeah. <laughs> However, sessions go. If you kind of let it happen, it always seems sort of fitting, even when it's like funny, like obviously less than ideal things, like not having a studio to finish an album in <laughs> that you're expecting <laughs> to or something. But it's still kind of like I don't know. It sort of immediately felt like, of course, like we're just gonna finish this, like in this room we're sleeping in, <laughs> like, like being sick and like ordering food and <laughs> losing our minds a little bit, what, only what? seeing each other. <laughs> well, nice. It was a nice rhythm. I liked it. There was a nice simplicity to it. Absolutely. We work in a, in a quite fever, literally feverish, deranged way. And then we watch some episodes of some people going mad on their own in the wilderness. And then, and we go, then we go to bed. And we go to bed again. <laughs> I feel like sort of the starting point for sounds with uh, an inbuilt fault was kind of like, percussion almost in a way or just like and, and and like you playing guitar like do you have like some starting points of like gear or just sort of like sound things with with the next thing you're, you're wanting to work on is there sort of like a like a palette kind of thing it's a tricky one because it's like the uh i think if you put too many sort of markers in your head too early then you can kind of stifle you know the the ideas before they've even kind of had the opportunity to present themselves properly but there's definitely some things that i know are going to be different like a I want to kind of uh, find more of a balance between synthetic and organic sound. But I can't remember the name of the drum machine now, but it's like simple 60s drum machine and the clocks mm. kind of bust. So it doesn't keep time. <laughs> and so like, even though you kind of have this sort of strange sort of um, kind of mm-hmm. uh, uncanny sort of thing of this like quite 
quite sort of programmed sort of sample sounding thing, mm-hmm. but it's actually mm-hmm. but it's actually moving and we'll put your playing to that. So even though it's yeah. kind of there's a kind of electronic basis, but it's sort of it's something that kind of cat it sort of throws the ear off because you kind of like, oh hang on, it's not in that like perfect meter. So I think mm-hmm. as a sort of basis in terms of where to start, as in terms of that sort of putting things together arrangement wise, I think that's quite an interesting thing, which I'm kind of like looking, I'm looking forward to kind of using that same machine just to make something really, really simple that's moving a bit and then use that as a kind of base and build up from there. I'm kind of quite into the idea of writing some slightly easier songs, or sit like <laughs> m- musically sort of simpler mm-hmm. songs. I've been writing a lot on the piano and I'm really, I'm really bad at piano. I don't know if it's an insecurity or just being bored or something, but you can mm-hmm. kind of make things more difficult than they need to be just if you know an instrument yeah. really well. And so it's kind of, I've been sort of writing on something I don't really, I basically can't, I'm very limited by the fact that I can't play it really. Mm-hmm. And that's, so that's another, that's another sort of formative <laughs> element to this sort of song. I want it to kind of have more, more of a sense, like the, the record that we, that we made together, like the sort of the themes of it were very kind of tied to the feelings of constriction and isolation, just because of the time that it was written. I don't feel that way anymore. So I'm hoping there'll be kind of a bit more of a sort of a, less of a sense of, of kind of aloneness in the sort of lyrical themes of the songs. Yeah, the, fir- the first bit that that song you sent me, I thought was sick. Thank you. What's happening with your um, new mythology record? I'm reading a lot of myths, but I'm also just sort of like reading sort of like about mythology and storytelling and stuff like that. For the Talk House readers, I'm in the midst of making a metal children's album that's based around this sort of big mythology that I'm kind of making up using bits and pieces of stuff that I like and also just, yeah, making up this whole kind of cosmology. But it's going to be metal as fuck Uh, (laughs) and uh, super outrageous. I've got like kind of outlines of like 18 or 19 little songs. And I kind of, speaking of like building things, like I, I, my instinct is just to be like, oh, I'll just start adding shit, you know, like people I want to play on it and percussion. And, but I'm like, maybe I should get the vocals first and like make sure there's something like worth playing to, you know, at the beginning. Cause it's going to be all these like outrageous voices, like super affected, crazy, outlandish vocal performances. I think actually what I need to do is like that first and like, you know, there's some songwriters I want to like co-write and have them sort of perform these voices. And then I think people playing to that will have a much better sense of what to do. <laughs> I want to hear some stuff. I want to help. Yeah, absolutely. You should be um, one of the characters. There are, I don't think there are enough metal records specifically for children. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what it'll sound like, but I'm, I'm pretty, uh, that's definitely the next step on the docket when I have some free time is going deep into that world. And it's kind of fun to have something that's like actually has nothing to do with the recording, but it still sort of gets your gears turning a little bit where you're like, oh, it makes me want to do that more during sessions of like have a simultaneous creative project going that isn't, you know, is just has to do with the record in that it's being done at the same time or maybe thematically feels similar, but doesn't actually have to do with like the making of the sound, you know? <laughs> I think that's just a, a very precious thing to to cultivate at all times, having some other kind of outlet that you're not looking at or, or listening to with the same level of scrutiny necessarily. You know, it's just kind of feeding your psyche in a certain way, but not in a way that, I don't know. I think about that quite a lot, like stuff that you're like, I don't put pressure on myself at all with this thing. Like, totally. But it's just, it's a good, it's just like a nice thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know for you, but like for me, when I'm actually working like hard on a record, I actually don't even 
it's hard to like really enjoy other music as much. Yeah. You don't want to get thrown off. Like you listen to like some great record and you're like, fuck, impossible that mine is gonna, like, how are they doing that? And you're also like, maybe we should do like a tambourine like that. And it's like, no, and you just like start getting ideas from other records that have nothing to do with your record. We should put that in the record. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, at all. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that comes from a nice place. I mean, that's the thing that I, yeah, that, that I find it really difficult to listen to stuff when I'm when I'm working. But for that reason, because because I when I when I dig around for music, I you know very quickly find will find something that I really like. You know, mm-hmm. even if it's not not the songwriting, like there'll be something I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds awesome. But then a mm-hmm. lot of the time, it's like, yeah, but there's no way that, that should be in what you're doing. So you try <laughs> and shoehorn it in. You're like, yeah, but this was cool. It was great. Because, yeah, no, but there's there's no need for that. That was a gamelan track. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it can work as well sometimes. Things will pop out when they're in your psyche and you are, have taken something in, but like hopefully they're popping out in like an unconscious, yeah. natural to you way. But yeah, I really, I mean, as you know from the session, I I really hate referencing stuff, especially on the speakers you're working on, because it's just like. I don't know. It just never, it almost never feels productive. It almost always feels like, God, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Like, and then you listen to yours and you're just like, wait, what? And you're like, but our kick drum, it's like, so, and then it's just like, well, yeah, it's like a different kick drum recorded like 50 years later, you know, like, it's just a bit like, and I don't know, just that stuff always ends up kind of psyching me out. You can talk about influences by just talking about like the stuff that you, that you were listening to or enjoying before you started Mm -hmm. even sort of putting stuff down. Because all of that stuff will be swirling around and kind of informing what you're doing without having to kind of look at something specifically and say, how do I do that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast and thanks to Will Westerman and James Krivchenia for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all the other great podcasts in our network via TalkHouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.